At the castle gate, Caspian's trumpeter blew a blast and cried, Open for the king of Narnia, come to visit his trusty and well-beloved servant, the governor of the Lone Islands. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are going to be talking about the fifth book in the series, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we're going to go on some tangents into other stories as well. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way. If there's anything that's, you know, too far out there, you know, whatever. But uh, today... We're going to be discussing chapter four of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. What Caspian did there. Wait, what? Who did where? When? Why? It's how. This again. Chapter titles, man. Gotta gotta work on your on your game, Clive. He. Why would you assume that you're not taking a break between chapters? It's just not even how children's books usually work like no. you don't read this entire book in one sitting if you're reading to a child not generally a normal person yeah we, often i mean i would say it's probably just best to avoid using ambiguity and weird vague pronouns in titles you're right Kel. we shouldn't be using vague pronouns put <laughs> it on this is a, a summary. A statement that exists. But um, Chase, yeah, how about you hit us with a summary? All right. Well, uh, this chapter starts out with the Lord Bird calling on Caspian and the crew uh, early, telling them to prepare the ship as if it were the first morning of battle in a great war with the king's flag flying in the stern. As they pulled into the port, a considerable crowd met them all friends of Lord Byrne. Uh, so that letter he had sent out in the previous night, sending word uh, somewhere, turns out to be to every single person he's ever met on this island. Uh, and they all gathered and cheered for Narnia and the king as Caspian's trumpeters sounded and soldiers marched into town. Uh, other townspeople began to join with Lord Byrne's friends, cheering as the bells rang and they advanced into the city. By the time they reached the castle gates, nearly the whole town had joined them, and even Grumpus, the governor inside his castle, heard the noise, but didn't move, and it wasn't significant that he could hear the noise. At the gates, Caspian's trumpeter blew a blast and cried open for the king of Narnia. A doorkeeper wearing a dirty old hat opened the door and said the governor only sees people by appointment and not to come in. But Lord Byrne hit him on the head, saying to uncover his head before Narnia. And two of Caspian's men stepped past the man and opened the gate for them anyways. They strolled into the courtyard and found the guards in, and their armor in a pretty disgraceful condition. But to keep them from getting into a fight, Caspian quickly told them their pardon for their sorry state and to open a cask of wine and for the guards to drink to the happy occasion of the king's visit. Most of Caspian's men remained in the courtyard while the king, Lord Byrne, and Drinian went into the hall. The governor sat at a table without much of a glance at them and said there were no interviews without appointments. Uh, at this, Caspian nodded to Byrne, and Lord Byrne and Drinian went and flipped the table the governor was working at and pulled him from his chair. 
Caspian sat down at his seat with his sword unsheathed across his knees, and he pointed out that they didn't get much of a welcome from the governor, and that the Lone Islands had not really paid their tribute. They haven't been paying their taxes to the Narnian crown in 150 years, and if they were to follow the letter of the law, that would demand the governor repay all of this money personally. The governor said, well, this that's just not possible. And But he held his tongue for the most part because he had seen the ship's signals as they came through the passage the day before and assumed they must have more reinforcements around the backside of the island at Burnstead. Uh, next, Caspian asked why the slave trade was being allowed on the islands. The governor said this was necessary for the economic growth of the islands. Caspian didn't find this acceptable and said that it has to be stopped. The governor gasped, saying that he, this would turn back the clock of progress on the island and he wouldn't be a part of ending the trade. And so Caspian said that he was relieved of his office and turned to make the Lord Byrne the new Duke of the Lone Islands. Getting rid of governors altogether. We're, we're a dukedom now. They got rid of Grumpus or Gumpus whatever his name is. They get rid of his staff and they ride out to the slave market. They barge in telling Pug that that one guy we met that one time who kidnapped everybody, uh, that his life should be forfeit for trying to put hands on Caspian the day before, but his ignorance was forgiven. Rather, slavery as a whole was being outlawed and all the slaves in the market were now free. They asked where Lucy and Edmund and all the bunch were and Pug said they were the first to be purchased. Edmund and Lucy yelled out, though, and the group was reunited, and some Callermans who had purchased them also stepped forward and had a lot of words to basically ask for their money back, and Caspian ordered Pug to return all the money from the slaves sold, saying it would be better for him to end up a beggar than a slave. Caspian then asked where Eustace was, and Pug said, actually, we weren't able to sell him. He kind of sucks, and so you can have him. Uh... That night, they have a great feast and made preparations to continue their voyage beyond any known lands. Caspian questioned old sea captains who had a lot of stories, but the gist of it was no one really knows what's beyond the Lone Islands. Many thought that if you sailed too far east, you'd hit a swirl of water with no lands that circles the rim of the world because Narnians are also flat earthers. And one person mentioned Aslan's country, which excited Reepicheep. But Duke Byrne said that his six companions had sailed eastward and never returned. Byrne mentioned also that the closing of the slave markets may or may not cause a war with Callerman. But Caspian said what's more important is continuing their adventure and not disappointing Reepicheep. I mean, surely not disappointing Reepicheep is how I kind of operate on a daily basis. So. Disappoint Reepicheep, world war, we, we'll risk the war. Yeah, I'm a people pleaser, so, you know. Fair enough. Got to do what you got to do. Uh, also, I'm <laughs> when the first time you read Grumpus, uh, I was like, I don't know if this was intentional or not. It, it's Grumpus. not. I just legitimately keep making that mistake. Even it's, in, a fair, it's a fair mistake because he is a Grumpus. I mean, for sure. I can't remember if I actually made the mistake in writing my notes. You did but, early. It was like the first time it's Grumpus, but then later on it's Gumpus. I think I caught it later on that I was doing it wrong, but yeah, it's a, it's it, a fitting name. It is. I like Grumpus better, and I think that's what we should refer to him as now. Uh, but Either way, C.S. Lewis picked the most dumpy name possible for his governor. I feel like he 
like C.S. Lewis looks at his bad guys and or his dumb people and just goes, you're going to get a fitting name. You can't just have a normal name or like a, a name of the land. You're going to get something like Gumpus or Pug. Yeah. And that's a very children's book way to way to write. Like Absolutely. Name, naming your villains something evil so that people know in advance who to root for. That's a very like classic children's burn children's book trope 100 uh, percent, yeah but uh so we start the chapter off with uh lord burden uh calling all of his guests uh that had arrived uh and uh, with caspian and telling them all to get on their armor and everything and to prepare uh like they're going for a great war um and it's like all right cool uh so they all armor up and they head out and Turns out that Chase, Lord Burns, you know, not a not a sketchy guy. I think we guess can... not. I guess that cliffhanger was just a way to end the chapter. Yeah, it was just a way to end the chapter, and he fooled you. He, now. he genuinely did. Genuinely, hey, you know, it happens sometimes. You know, uh, it, if I was a good podcaster, I would have read ahead and been like. No, that's not how that happens. It's only a paragraph in, but not going to do that much work. Okay. We read two chapters at a time, no more, no less. Yep. Everything else, we're going in blind. Blind, man. All uh, the spoilers but, are for previous books, not for this book. Indeed. Uh, we, I mean, we know general you know, plot lines for basically the rest of the series. Yeah, vaguely. Minor plot lines. Might escape us. I have read this book in the past five years, not in the past month. Fair enough. And then, like, if, uh, if you've ever seen the episode of SpongeBob where Squidward's trying to make a make it look like his life is way more fancy than it actually is to Squilliam, uh, Squilliam Fancy Pants, that is, uh, and he's teaching uh, SpongeBob the ways of fine dining. He tells him, "Forget everything except." your name and fine, or, uh, except uh, how to breathe and fine dining. And so later on, he's, you know, incredible waiter. Famously and doesn't know his name. Famously does not know his name. And they're like, what's the name? What's the name? Because it wasn't important enough, right? That's kind of how I feel sometimes. I'm just like, nah, this information, scrap it. It's okay. taking up too much of my brain space. There's, the filing cabinets are full. There's only so much room in your brain. And honestly, there's too much other stuff going on. How am I going to remember useless song lyrics and, uh, you know, trivial uh, Star Wars and other fandom trivia if I'm replacing it with things like plot lines? Yeah. How am I going to repeatedly flash back to that thing I said wrong in second grade if I remember other stuff like what happened last week? 100%. But all that to say, we go back. The uh, Lord Bird has assembled a, a big crowd basically being like, hey, look. King Caspian, he's here. Uh, and it starts with a few people cheering. They're like, Narnia, Narnia, long live the king. Uh, but I like how it kind of walks through, like, the how this kind of progresses, like, the the cheers. Because it's like, yeah, the, at first, you know, the people who were cheering were, uh, you know, only the people that Lord Byrne had called because they're like, all right, cool. Like, y'all are aware of the king of Narnia and everything like that. And then it's like, but then all the, cheer the children started joining in because... They like a procession and, you know, think it's fun. Yeah, they and don't want the school, school. Yeah. And then the schoolboys joined in because they also, you know, they just like noise. 
uh, and disturbance. And uh, they thought that the more there was, less likely there'd be school. Uh, and then, you know, old women began uh, popping out of windows and gossiping and chattering and uh, you know, because a king is more exciting than the governor. And then the young men joined in, uh, they, you know, they were, uh, or the young women joined in because they think uh, Jernian and Caspian are handsome. And then the young men come out and like, oh yeah, like this is a, this is a rebel rousing for sure. Um, and it's just, it's, it's funny that it, C.S. Lewis felt like he needed to describe the order of operations here. Yeah. He really goes out of his way to list why every single person on that island was there yeah. and they were i mean lord burns plan did work um and yeah. not a terrible way to make you seem more important than you are or at least more formidable than you are because Absolutely. they got one ship i didn't even realize they had this many soldiers with them yeah um it's not clear it how big or small this ship is or how many people are or are not on it it is, yeah, it feels like 50 soldiers, in addition to the important people of the journey, are, like, that feels like a lot. That does feel like a lot. That feels like too many. But like, I, I would have said, like, a couple dozen people to work the ship. Yeah, I, I would have assumed there's, like, 20 tops, probably more like yeah. 12, including the people who are our main characters. Right. Because I, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, can we get a scale drawing of the Dawn Treader, someone, please? Uh, but uh, he, after he lists why everyone's cheering, uh, the trumpeter for Caspian uh, blows a blast and cries out, open for the king of Narnia, come to visit his trusty and well-beloved servant and the governor of the lonely, or the lonely islands, not the lonely island. Uh, that's different. Um, and he's but, not here. This is a, uh, the way they go about entering into the governor's household, I think is pretty smart. They're not coming in like soldiers or like warriors. They're like, they're just, it's a processional, right? And it's hard for people to argue against a processional uh, whenever it's just like, hey, we're the king, like, love the, love the governor. He's so trustworthy. Uh, and that's awesome, you know? I mean, you say it's hard to argue, but. Karn sees fish and she. What was that? Uh, you can't see his fish and his sufficiency. Yeah, it's so Agni British written out through through dashes. It's just one of those things that like C.S. Lewis kind of just throws in there every now every now and then because he wants to play with language. Uh, there's a, a a guy who is kind of you know you can say guarding the door uh, inefficiently and ineffectively. Uh, but he's very much like Hagrid speak here or like very written out like Cockney where he's like Karn sees efficiency, uh, which roughly translates to you can't see his sufficiency. And then he the next line is way more intelligible uh, where he goes, no interviews without appointment set between 9 and 10 p.m. Second Saturday every month, which is actually intelligible. Like the first part is like, why did he write it that way? And then the second part is very much intelligible. Yeah. The first part is gibberish. The second part just cuts off the first letter of every word. Yeah. Which like is fair with that accent, you know? Yeah. Uh, sure. But uh, 
we will we will acknowledge i want to acknowledge this now because he says it here and gumpus is going to say it again later the only times he takes interviews or anything like that is between 9 and 10 p.m. on the second saturday of every month who takes interviews or appointments at 9 p.m. I mean, honestly, sounds great. That's uh, that's how I want to schedule my life. Because, Kel, if you don't take appointments till 9 p.m., you really don't got to get up until 8.30 p.m. out of bed. I mean, I guess, but I don't. And so right now, do you know what I'm doing at like 9 p.m.? I'm like winding down. I'm getting ready for bed. Yeah, I'm an old I'm, man. I'm on my fifth episode of whatever Netflix show I'm watching. And yeah, I... I don't want to open the door. Like if someone knocks on my door, or rings the doorbell at 9 p.m., something terrible has happened. Yeah, it's. I mean, and and the point C.S. Lewis is trying to make is like, obviously he's not available to his. No, he's, he's intentionally making himself unavailable. Part of me is like, honestly, having an hour of open hours every other week isn't a bad policy. Like, sure. I feel like a gut. I I couldn't walk into our state capitol and and request, request a meeting with the governor, governor. Yeah. at any point in any time, let alone twice a month. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. It I can't I can't decide how bad it is because we don't live in this kind of legal system. But sure. well, we also can't do this because we have millions and millions of people in our state. Sure, but I can't do this to the mayor either. Yeah, but even the mayor, you still are dealing with millions of people. I mean... Depending on what town you're in. Yeah, depending on where you live. I mean, I think... If you're in Austin or Dallas, like we are. Yeah, I mean, my individual town, though. Like, Dallas is like 50 different cities all clumped together. Same forward. Like, Arlington, I think, has... 400,000 people and that's still a lot but still not all of them not all of them have personal disputes with the city every single half month fair enough but every single uh, night so they make their way through uh the uh useless doorkeeper they're just like all right we're coming through and they do and they see all of the guards and i you know like I'm going to put quotation marks around guards because their armor is disheveled. Uh, the guys kind of look like they're probably hung over. They're not, not doing great. They're kind of just disheveled. If someone actually was marching in with an army, these guys would be toast. Yeah. But Caspian is smart about it because they see that like, I mean, they might be in bad condition, but these are the kinds of dudes who would fight if they felt threatened in this situation Absolutely. or if like they had an actual leader. Uh, but yeah, Caspian doesn't really give them any time to think. It's just like, Hey, who's in charge here? Oh, you random kid who doesn't even have armor on. Uh, look, we're here to reclaim or we're here to visit the lone islands and that should be an occasion of joy for you. You should be so excited. So because it's such a happy occasion, I'm going to ignore the fact that y'all aren't looking your best today. And in fact, here's a bottle of wine on me. Enjoy, party, live it up. Don't pay attention to what's happening in that hall over there. Yeah. 
And these soldiers are like, I don't know you, but I do know one thing. I like to party. So you've got my vote. It's not a vote because I'm a king. I mean, well, I didn't yeah. if, if this was a democracy, Caspian would have the party vote, though. Absolutely. He, he would uh, have the frat boys all on his side. Narnian did his campaigning in the last book unnecessarily. Uh, so he doesn't need to anymore. Now he's just ruling. I mean, this is the first time he's acted like a king in any of the books. Fair. And so uh, it's it, before uh, the soldiers can do anything, Burns like three cheers for the king. And everyone's like, right on. And then they open the cask and they go to town. Uh, and so they make their way into the governor's hall. And it, Gumpus, a bilious looking man with hair that was once red and now mostly gray, uh, is just doing some busy work. Is he a Weasley? He might be. He could be Percy. Julius Weasley is a person, and he's got red hair. So could be headcanon. Uh, but uh, he says no interviews uh, except between nine and ten every other Saturday, uh, or on second Saturdays. Uh, that's so once a month. But uh, then he, uh, after he uh, says this. Uh, Caspian nods to Burn, and then Burn and Drinian just decide to go real Jesus in the tabernacle here. Flip some tables. They, uh, you know, all of the letters and the dossiers and the pens and documents are just flung across the room. And they pick Gumpus out of his chair uh, and they sit him uh, across from Caspian, who's got his sword across his knees in a real like Godfather kind of move. Yeah. How how do you feel about the way they take over here? Because there's an acknowledgement in the way that Gumpus runs things that there's a lot of administrative work that needs done to run a society. Yeah. And you can't always just pick up and change everything all at once with just a wave of a sword. And yeah. Caspian and Lord Byrne kind of just ignore that and be like, nah, it's as easy as this. And then it's supposed to be done. And that is a very like monarchical, like old society way of doing things versus I think C.S. Lewis is kind of commenting on the way that governments work now. Whereas yeah. like he would be like, Nah, the king should be able to say that this is the way it ought to be, and it ought to be that way. Where yeah. like societies and governments nowadays are a lot more administrative and bureaucratic, and and things change at a slow pace because there's policies in place and systems sure. for better or for worse, as as we see in in this chapter. But it's an interesting commentary. That, that's it is a really interesting commentary, and he's going to talk about progress and going against progress. And uh, CS, like generally, the group that takes over is theoretically progressing, right? They're moving forward in time, moving forward in society. And you generally don't go from democratic to monarchical, you go the opposite route. Uh, so it's interesting uh, what happens in this situation. So it is kind of like just swept over real fast because what's going to happen is uh, they're going to talk to Gumpus and basically he's going to, we'll, we'll go into their conversation a little bit more, but yeah, they kind of just take over 
um, and institute, you know, going back to a monarchy system when they've been operating semi-democratically for a while. Uh, and you say it's inefficient, potentially, you know, it's, it's probably way more inefficient than a like system where you have one person making decisions. However, what you tend to have is more fairness. Now in this system, obviously Gumpus is a corrupt official and he is still leading things poorly uh, and is, has allowed for the slave trade to uh, exist. Uh, and so he is definitely not a beacon of uh, morality. And I think that's what is being juxtaposed here with the monarchy that Caspian has in place is generally the reason that monarchies fall is because a bad monarch comes in and people are tired of living under a bad monarch or like a, a person who doesn't have a good moral compass, who doesn't have a sense of this is how things should be done properly or like, well, it's just, this is what I want to do. And it costs the lives of other people. Caspian's going to come in and go, yeah, no slaves. Sorry. My dog is in the background. If you can hear the jingling, it's just all the money being poured onto the table uh, in the, in Gumpus's court. Yeah, she's decided to just like, you know, jingle a lot on her collar right now. And so I apologize for that. Uh, Not editing it out. I'll, right on, Luna, you made it into the podcast. Um, but yeah, like Caspian's going to come in and luckily be a like good monarch, someone who is ruling justly. But that isn't always the case. Right now you see the corruption of you know, a democratic official and a good monarch, uh, but generally it's the opposite of how things uh, tumble. But it goes very fast, Chase. I mean, yeah. It, if we didn't know that it was going to work out, I would say this is irresponsible and, and not realistic of like a way to change order. But, totally. you know? Who am I? It takes longer for our characters to walk through the woods than it does to completely shift a governmental regime. Yeah, I think that's part of what throws me off about this chapter is how much time C.S. Lewis spends on dumb things versus action, which has been a repeated like gripe that we've had throughout all of these books. But yeah, they have no problems completely overturning the society in in like three or four pages which is again less time than it took for them to walk through the woods in a single chapter let alone all the chapters of fly and witch in the wardrobe absolutely yeah it's a it is a it's a tough thing because what happens is caspian comes in and he's like hey you haven't treated us very well uh, and Gumpus is like, well, you didn't have an appointment. And he's like, and he just doesn't care. And he goes, there's two things that, you know, I've had a big issue with. First is that y'all haven't paid your tributes in like 150 years. Uh, and Gumpus is trying to push this into the bureaucracy thing where it's like, oh, we'll talk about that at next month's meeting. And uh, Caspian gets his attention by saying, well, the letter of the law says that a tribute hasn't been paid. Uh, then the whole debt is to be paid by the governor of the Lone Islands. And Gumpus is like, well, that's just an economic impossibility, which is funny because he's like, I don't have that funds. Like, what are you talking about? Uh, and he can't do also anything. Also, how I feel about taxes at this very moment. So, yeah. an economic impossibility. 
guys, this is just, uh, it's not going to work out for me. Can you come back next month? Uh, or like never. Uh, but the payment plan with the IRS, Mm. but Gumpus looks at this and goes, I would like, yeah. Gumpus says, I would like to do something about this. However, in his mind, he thinks that they have a whole fleet with them because he saw a warship go by uh, and signal to someone else. And then he sees what he thinks is a different ship in the Dawn Treader um, now coming to shore. And so it turns out Lord Burns uh, plan of like faking having a giant fleet around has worked. Uh, and they are, so Gumpus is really intimidated and he won't do anything. Uh, and we find that the second thing Caspian has a problem with, in addition to not being paid uh, tribute by the Lone Islands, is, you know, the whole this whole slave trade thing. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, and the, the, the groveling, just like hand-waving of the slave trade by Gumpus is kind of wild, because he basically just says, like, Look, it's necessary, unavoidable even. Yep. Uh, an essential part of the economic development of the islands, I assure you, our present burst of prosperity depends on it, which is objectively evil. Um, yeah, and it, at least for us in American context, really reckons towards the logic of the slave trade in the United States, where one of the biggest arguments for people maintaining that evil structure was, well, this is how our society is propped up. This is what keeps us financially viable. You want to just completely upend the thing that made our society exist in its current form. And the moral answer is, yeah, yeah, do do that. Change that. It doesn't matter. It is better to as Caspian says later in the chapter, be a beggar than a slave. Yeah, it's, it's the thing where this, we, the issues I think that Chase and I are going to take with this chapter have nothing to do with the morality of the situation. Because obviously like, yeah, take away the slave trade, take away the morale, like the immoral aspects of this. This is terrible, right? Uh, Gumpus is going to say, not only is it unavoidable, and the reason it's unavoidable is because like, hey, well, we make all of our money from selling slaves. And the people who are making money are him and Pug and other slave traders. And Caspi is going to call him out on this where he's like, well, so it's not unavoidable. You could sell other things. You just choose to capture people and enslave them and then sell them. Uh, and he's basically being like, you don't bring any goods in for the regular people or you know, for the people of the Lone Islands. You just enslave people and sell them and pocket all the money yourselves uh this has to be ended so we're we are for this right uh we agree with caspian saying like you have to put it into this and like gumpus will be like you know you have you no idea of progress or development and caspian's like we'll call that going bad in narnia right however this this just happens so fast and i'm going to talk about this a little bit more in my further up and further in but like they just toppled this whole regime and this infrastructure in a manner of like probably like an hour or two, uh, like between this conversation and what's going to come later. 
And like, you, you don't just do that. His response to this is basically like, well, as like, you're out of office, we're going to put Duke in, or we're going to make a Duke here. Uh, Lord Byrne is now the Duke of the Lone Islands uh, and uh, slavery's out. And it's done. Yeah. Which, yeah, like, like you said, our qualms are not with whether or not Caspian is right for this, to want this outcome. What we're questioning is, is this how this would go down if you actually created this large of a power vacuum and disrupted this social and economic order that abruptly? It's not that they're wrong. It's that there would be more of an uproar than there is. Absolutely. It's, it's tough because basically what happens after Duke Byrne is uh, given his dukedom, uh, Gumpus is relieved from office. He's told, collect your things, get out of here. You don't owe any debt, but you need to leave ASAP. Uh, and uh, they make their way out to the courtyard where Pug is in the process of selling a few slaves. Coincidentally, Chase, uh, they happen to be selling the people uh, that we're looking for. Isn't that, uh, isn't that neat? Um, and so, uh, he's in the middle of his, uh, his best auctioneer, uh, impersonation. And, uh, he stops as the Duke, uh, the newly, uh, appointed Duke Byrne, uh, says on your knees, every man of you to the King of Narnia and Caspian, uh, tells Pug that his life is forfeit for having, uh, you know, tried to like for having enslaved and captured, uh, the King, which is, it's a tough look. Uh, hard to get away from that one. He's like, hey, but you didn't know. Uh, and so, you know, your ignorance is pardoned. However, slave trade, the thing that you do for your living, it's actually stopped now. So, uh, you know, everyone, every slave here is now free and he frees everyone and then tells, you know, all the people like they find that Lucy and Edmund and Reaper Cheap have all been sold already. Uh, and they are all sold, but he tells them to, uh, they, the people who bought them can get their money back from Pug. Um, and they're just like, all right, cool. And they happen to be Kalorman, right? And so like, hey, go for it. Here's another little teaser for uh, both the horse and his boy and future books to come. Uh, Which, everyone- I appreciate that he doesn't, do anything super racist with the calorman and not too bad. Nope. Comparatively. He, he generally is like, yeah, they have a lot of fine words and we're generally complimentary and really just wanted to make sure that they got their money back. Yep. He like still buying people, not sure. a good thing. Sure. Obviously. He, bad. But no, uh, no racist undertones here. Just making sure that they know that like these people are going to be antagonists, right? They're, they're wise, they're wealthy, they're cruel, you know, they're a, they're a harsh people, they're obviously buying slaves, but nothing like, there's no no weirdness like there was in Horse and His Boy, and how there will be even more in uh, the final battle, or the yeah. last battle. But uh, they give everyone their money back, uh, and, uh, you know, Pug is, again, they, <laughs> uh, he, he says... Caspian says, every man who has bought a slave today must have his money back. Pug, bring out your takings to the last minimum. Uh, and Chase, just so you're aware, a minimum is the 40th part of a crescent, which is, I believe, one-tenth of a shroot buck. Sure, sure. Um, which I don't know the, the yeah. rate between that and a Stanley nickel. but 
it's wild that we know so little about the financial system of this country. It would be better if he didn't say anything. Yeah, it'd be better to like just throw out this random, like unimportant detail that brings up all the other questions that you could have. Like we, it it does more to flag that we know so little than to be an interesting detail, which is what he's trying to be. Yeah, it it's tough, and so uh, he he does that. And Pug basically his his what his only complaint um, in all of this. It, he doesn't say like, oh man, you know, we'll fight you to the death, which is what would actually happen here. Yeah. He doesn't say you can't do that. That is my entire career and livelihood. He says it would be true. He says, do you mean to make me a beggar? He's because he's taking away his money in that moment, which he's going to do. And Caspian makes a great line. He says, it's better to be a beggar than a slave. Uh, and it's like, that's awesome. That's a great line, right? You, you know, it, it's talking about the morality of like, hey, at least you are not like either belittling someone's life, the value of their life, or having your life belittled. Uh, but he goes, where's my other friend? And Chase, I had, this is where I come to this, this, I don't know how I feel about this. And I want to talk to you about it because we have this moment where if you were paying attention earlier, that was intentional that I said Edmund, Lucy, and Reepichee were sold and not Eustace because Eustace was not sold. They could not find anyone to buy him. As Pug says, you know, we have, he said, I've never seen such a drug in the market in all my born days. Priced him at five crescents, which is significantly lower than I think the 20 crescents or whatever that the other guys were sold. And then no one would buy him. So then he, uh, lowered it even more, and then he threw him in free with other people, and still people did not want him. Uh, they wouldn't touch him, wouldn't look at him. And uh, he go like C.S. Lewis goes out of his way to basically say that slavery is bad, but you know what's worse? Eustace. Because, like, like the anytime you bring slavery into a context in a fictional story, it's generally to show that the protagonists value human life, right? All life is valuable. The Imago Dei image, right? Like we are all made in the image of God. However, you can't do that and then immediately go, but you know whose life isn't valuable? Eustace. Eustace sucks. Eustace does suck. The only moral message of this book is that Eustace sucks. Don't be like Eustace. And so I'm just, it's Even a tough line. Even call him Sulky. They gave him the nickname Sulky. Which is accurate. You know, he does. But like, I don't like this. I, I feel weird about this because it feels like it kind of goes against the whole message of the value of human life. Where it's like you're devaluing one life in particular in the midst of a whole liberation scene. And then just logistically, let's be real. Slave traders aren't going to care if someone is sulky or if they're like, if they're complaining. In reality, they'd be way more violent. Yeah, slavery and, isn't built on willing workers. No, like, like, well, man, the point. We, we would have bought this guy, but he just didn't really want to be a slave. And I felt bad about that. 
man, we could have solved slavery the whole time if just people didn't want to be slaves. Crazy. I'm going to say something and I want people to know that this is an absolute joke. Do you think slaves just ever said don't? (laughs) No one's ever brought it up to this very moment. Man, sorry about that, bro. No, right? Slave traders are way more violent about this, right? It would have just cut out his tongue. That's what I'm saying, dude. Like, so one, it's dumb, right? Slave traders wouldn't care. But two, see, so you're kind of going against your own message here of like the value of life uh, in denouncing slavery, but then saying like, but not even Eustace could be sold as a slave because he's not even that valuable. Yeah. The only person who's ever been denied from the slave markets, Eustace. Which is tough. Uh, and so he walks back to Caspian and the crew. Uh, and then just complains more and uh, talks about how they still haven't found the British Council, which is, he's still going on about this. Uh, but then after this, Chase, the slave trade's done, I think. I think they're Every just over. Who knew? All you need to do is just just do one one small thing. Is anyone mad about it? Don't worry about maybe, it. Maybe minorly annoyed. Yeah, they, they got over it immediately and threw a feast instead. Yep. So they feast uh, and they decide to, uh, this part is really cool. Uh, they lift the Dawn Treader onto land and they roll it across the island so they don't have to take it all the way across. They roll it on tree logs, uh, which is something that they used to do uh, in old days. So there's a, it, um, there's a place called Corinth uh, in the Bible. It's a port town. Uh, for our listeners, um, really famous. Uh, if you've ever read the Bible, it's First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. That's the city they are writing to is Corinth, uh, and it's in Greece. And basically, it's like a little uh, little piece of land that sticks out, and then uh, there is a bunch of islands and stuff right on the edge of the land. And so, as opposed to sailing through and trying, like potentially wrecking your boat or going all the way around, that would take a long time. They would take these boats. And they would put them on like basically a dugout like valley uh, or like a, you know, kind of thing. And they'd roll the boats across Corinth. Uh, you know, it'd take a few weeks to, to get them across as opposed to traveling for several months and potentially getting shipwrecked. And then all of the sailors would basically just hang out in Corinth uh, for a month and party and drink wine and, uh, you know, do things that sailors do. Uh, with the uh, women of the night uh, and they would just uh, have a good time for a month. And so that part obviously is probably not happening uh, in the Lone Islands, hopefully. Uh, but Renault. it's cool that this boat, you know, the the movement of the Dawn Treader, that's historically accurate. And I think that's kind of neat. Yeah, just a old fashioned boat slip for a, for a giant warship. Yeah. I like it. It's fun. Uh, but uh, they, you know, they're chilling uh, in, in the Lone Islands for a few weeks. And basically they just decide, hey, we're going to like feast and eat for a little bit, restock. They're going to put all water in the boat and some food and some rations and supplies. And Caspian's going to ask around uh, all the sailors and people who've gone like, what's east of the Lone Islands? And Chase, you would assume that in this seafaring town, someone would have gone east. Nope. Nope. Not a single person. No one has ever person. sailed to the right. No, one, no one's better been no one's ever been curious. No, just just hey, what's what's that way? 
Nope. Well, hell, all the land's the other way. Why would I go that way if the land's the other way? And the other way is the end of the earth. Yeah, you'll just fall off the end. You'll, you'll get caught in the lazy river that goes around the edge of the earth. Yeah, and then it just shoots you back in the other way, so it's pointless. <laughs> Which, if they thought that there was this, like, channel that's, like, circling the edge of the earth, wouldn't that be a trading channel? Like, wouldn't that be something you'd want to know how to access? But whatever. Yeah. You think so? No one apparently has gone east. They've heard rumors potentially that you know Aslan's country is beyond the end of the world, but you can't get there. And Reaper Chief is really excited, but then they just move on, right? Uh, and I mean, it does make me think of Game of Thrones and the whole "What's West of Westeros" thing. Of like the que- the answer is nobody knows. Sounds like an adventure. Maybe a spinoff series that they should have done. But nope. Dragon. But they... Uh, Time. Yeah. So he's asking all these people. No one knows. Uh, and the Duke uh, basically goes, you know, I've thought about, like, they look at the at the sunrise. And he he's like, sometimes I like to look over at the sunrise coming from the east and and wonder what's over there. Uh, is it, you know, is there something? Is it just the horizon? Probably nothing. Uh, but, and this is the only mention of there potentially being an issue with what just happened. And they immediately just d- discredit it. Because what happens, he goes, but I wish your majesty wouldn't go. We may need your help here. This closing the slave market might make a new world. War with Kellerman is what I foresee. My liege, think again. And Caspian very thoughtfully replies, I have an oath, my lord. And anyway, what would I say to reap a cheap? Right. It's uh, Caspian has his priorities straight, you know? Caspian's like, but I really, I said I was going to do this. And I know that I just toppled a whole regime and that this power vacuum could lead to really big issues. But reap a going to be so sad. And he's going to be yeah. disappointed in me. And I can't handle that. I know I got rid of everybody who knows how to run things on this island and I'm leaving you in charge by yourself, but uh, yeah. sure things will be former, fine. I promise this mouse. Yeah. Sorry. Former slave purchaser that I just left in charge of everything. Sure. Per- he freed his purchase slaves. Sure. But still, he's still Go run this island. You seem legit. I've known you for like half a day. Yeah. He, <laughs> They met yesterday, but don't hey, worry. Give him a dukedom. Yeah. I want to meet Caspian too. Yeah. I, I, give me a dukedom. I don't know what the order of operations are, but I'll be a baron. You know? You can vaguely tell what Caspian looks like. He'll make you a duke. Yeah. That's, that's the moral of this story. We, Caspian, our name Caspian and Casto share a surprising percentage of letters. So this wordle has a few different letters lit up. Chase, what's your what's your average uh like win slot on wordle? Cal, I have not played a single time, but I know the reference, so I said it. Man, look at you trying to be hip and cool. Trying not to have whatever company owned it before the New York Times take my data in some undiscernible way. 
I don't download apps on my phone if they're not work related anymore. Oh, I I just put it on the website, wordle.com. <laughs> I mean, I looked it up on a website and that's how I played it. I ain't downloading no apps. What do I look like? Some chump? Nah. <laughs> Going low tech here. I bought the Wordle book at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> I open it only one day at a time. <laughs> it's actually one of those day by day calendars and you just kind of fill it in. And then, then, there's no way for them to tell me whether I was right or not. So correct, yeah. I've got a hundred percent average. Yeah, I'm really good at it. I, I, it's ironically, it's always Earth is the only. It's, that's the. It's always the opening. I mean, that so, seems like a solid one. Two vowels, an R, and a T. It, I've gone with Earth and a rose, A R O S E, because that way you get three that's vowels and R and S. It's a good one for me. I've yeah, seen some I have thought about what I would do if I played Wordle. I just haven't downloaded it. Hmm. Well, I guess that's that. But Chase, we've come to the end of the chapter. Do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? I've got another 10 minutes on Wordle, but uh, I think we can move on. You're taking 10 minutes to play Wordle. That's a long <laughs> time, Frank. <laughs> it defeats the purpose of this game. Uh, but yeah, further up and further in. Uh, I can I can go first if you want. Do it. Uh, so for my further up and further in, uh, I was thinking about this theme or trope of the removal of the bad steward. So this, this chapter is King Caspian going into his governed territory. He, he is the king of these islands, even though it doesn't make sense because they're super far away. Uh, he goes into his governed territory and finds it mismanaged with no acknowledgement of his true authority or willingness to get it in line with the rightful laws of the land. Uh, as a result, he removes the leadership and installs a new faithful servant to take the place of the bad servant, the uh, faithful manager to take the place of the bad manager. And to, to me, it brings to mind the Lord of the Rings, where the steward of Gondor is similarly uh, mismanaging the territory and needs to be overtaken for right actions to go forth. Uh, I mean, obviously different scenario happens differently than our story, but this idea of the unfaithful servant misusing and abusing the resources trusted to him and the replacement of his role with someone faithful, that's age old. And I mean, for a Christian story at its core, deeply biblical. Uh, think of the parable of the talents where where the master gives his servants uh, amounts of money to manage and then comes back later to see how they manage that. Or the parable of the tenants where a master entrusts his land to people who are, who are tenant farming on it and then has to reckon with the fact that they have decided they don't want to uh, return it to him or, or honor him as lord of that land. Uh, both of these stories teach the need for the servants to faithfully steward the master's resources and the reminder that there is a time when the master will return to reckon with how that property has been managed. Uh, so yeah, the removal of the bad steward. Yeah, mine is similar and it's the toppling of an evil regime, right? Uh, we've talked about it a lot in this podcast already, uh, but basically there's this, you know, this idea in a lot of stories and in real life as well, uh, right? Where you see the, uh, you see the toppling, you see the overcoming, the conquering of an evil moral regime, right? That people are selling slaves, people are uh, in uh, selling drugs, they're doing something like that, they're 
participating in something that is immoral, illegal, and someone comes in to clean it up, and it's it's never easy, right? Uh, you see the uh, like the spice trade in Star Wars or Dune or, or or something like that, and when someone tries to come in and clean it up, uh, you know, if you've been watching the Book of Boba Fett, spoiler alert, I won't go anything into the end of the series, but. At the beginning of it, you see when Jabba the Hutt is killed and when his uh, his majordomo is killed and uh, who took his place. There's a power vacuum and there's all these people competing for uh, the right to rule the evil aspects to make more money as opposed to being like, yes, we should clean this up. Right. You see Luke and Han's, uh, Han and Leia, you know, kill uh, Jabba the Hutt and uh, supposedly kill Boba Fett, but they didn't spoiler right uh and they think yes now we've just solved all of the evil problems on tatooine let's leave and they leave and what happens tatooine's still corrupt and there's still uh bad stuff going down uh you see this in uh the dark knight uh trilogy you know there you replace one bad with another whether it's the mobsters whether it's the joker whether it's whoever there's always someone who comes in to take the place of the people who were holding power and running, you know, illegal operations, you know, they were smuggling things, they were doing whatever. This, this chapter kind of just yada yadas, the removal of the slave industry. And if our real world examples in the South uh, are any pro like product of this, it is really hard to uproot systems like this. And you see uh, the systems of slavery, not just play out and like, yes, we do not physically own slaves anymore. But what about systematic wealth uh, inequalities that exist? What about, um, you know, things that like like inherent racism that have existed for like decades and centuries? What about things that have been put in place that are just the results of slavery? Right. Even if you can remove the system, the impacts are far reaching. The economic impacts, the social impacts like it's this chapter in this book just kind of says good for us we did it and doesn't really deal with the actual impacts of like how do you recover from that how is the lone island or like how are the lone islands going to economically impact what is their new trade going to be what is their you know how are they going to develop what are they going to do with all these people who used to be slaves and now need to find their own housing they need to find their own uh places to live and places to make money that um, you have an influx of workers now that you have to pay as when they were previously being unpaid. What do you do with that? You have a bunch of people who weren't paying workers and now have to pay them. How are they like you have to ask all these questions that aren't being asked. Right. Morality wise. Good for y'all. You did away with the slave trade. You should have. Slavery is terrible. But what do you do with it? Right. What is the what's the next thing? And, and it's a long process. Uh, of of trying to rehabilitate a country or a land that has been um, running under an evil regime. And so uh, I like the stories that deal with the reality aspects of this is like, it's hard to do that as opposed to just being like, we did it good for us. But Chase, we've, yeah. uh, we, the boat has, uh, we, we've, we've made its, its way across the island. We've rolled it through. I think we've partied and feasted enough. Uh, and I think it's time to sail east. Yeah, let's let's go it right off the end of the world. I don't know what's out there, Chase. Probably nothing. Probably, Probably giant storms. 
But I do know, Chase, that if someone were to rate and review our, our podcast, leave us a five-star rating, let, leave a comment and uh, let us know how we're doing. Follow us on Instagram at the Chronicles of the Podcast. Share this podcast uh, with your friends anywhere you find it, Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you were to do that, I think it would help this podcast make its way east and get somewhere worth going. I mean, if you leave us a five-star rating, you get free admission into Aslan's country. Guaranteed. No Guaranteed. About it. If you just continue with this book. Been long getting, getting ready for a weekend like that. Just chug like a gallon of Red Bull and uh yeah. sleep. Or you would I would throw up. That'd be so gross. I it sounds terrible. I feel like you're I feel like your like liver and your like processing organs would just like deteriorate from all of the syrup and caffeination. I mean, if people throw up from the milk challenge, I can only imagine that doing that with Red Bull, not a good Hot take. You shouldn't drink a gallon of Red Bull. Yeah, I would I would say that's probably pretty fair. <laughs>